Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to go inside of somebody else's brain? You're like, that's, that, that. there are some folks, Brother Christian, that'd be scary if we did that. You ever thought about somebody and said, you know, I'm just not sure what they're thinking. I wish I could go inside their mind. You might have thought that a time or two about the Lord. I just don't know what the Lord is thinking. I just don't know what God has planned. I just don't know what's in the mind of God. It's interesting that as the Apostle Paul continues under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write this precious book, he's there with Timothy. And he commends these individuals and he brings up the fact that he knows that Jesus has done a real work in their life. They've been transformed. They believe the gospel. And they got saved and that had absolutely direct impact on their life. He commends Epaphras who was their minister. Epaphras was his associate. And we've already gone through that. But we come down to verse 9. And Paul is articulating his prayer here for the Colossian Christians. In fact, in verse 3, he states generally, he says, I pray for you. And then here in verse 9, he tells them exactly what he's praying. That that God has laid upon his heart to share with them. This is what I'm praying for you. And it's interesting that every single thing that he articulates here, every point of his prayer for them is something that is according to God's will. That God has already planned this for them and their lives. So we could say that if you would allow me to say it this way, Paul is not only opening up his heart and allowing them to catch a glimpse of his heart and his prayer life for him. Paul is opening up and the Lord is allowing Paul to open up the mind of God. And allowing these Colossian believers to see, to hear, to feel just exactly what God has for them. He removes the doubt. He takes the question marks away. And so the Lord does that for us, and He enables us to go inside His mind for each one of us. We know that the Bible here is God's revealed word, God's revealed will. But there's so much, so much more that the Lord has revealed to us, and even here, so much more that He articulates to us. So let me tell you four things tonight that God wants for you. Four things based on this text. I want you to listen very carefully under the inspiration and under the anointing of God tonight. Would the Lord help us and just anoint us to receive it? First of all, know this with me, that God wants you and me to have full discernment of His will for you in every situation. He wants you to have full discernment of His will for you in every situation. Look at verse 9. Paul said, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, since the day we heard of your faith, since the day we heard of your conversion, here it is, we do not cease to pray for you. 
And now he's going to tell them what he prays. To desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Notice that phrase. That you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might be filled. The word there means to be filled full. Completely filled up with what, preacher? With the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom of God's will. The word knowledge there means full knowledge, accurate knowledge. It means the ability to recognize. We would say full discernment. That we would discern God's will. What is God's will? It's God's determined purpose and plan for you. How many times have we heard, God has a wonderful master plan for your life? Well, He does. He does. We know God has a plan long range. But what about day to day? Does God have a plan for that? Sure. What about situation by situation? Does God have a plan for that? He sure does. What about... What about those moments in my life, in my day's journey, when I come to an impasse and I don't know what to do? Does God have a will for that? He sure does. And Paul says that the Lord wants you to have that full discernment in all wisdom, in all spiritual understanding. That phrase is a reference to the need for us to discern God's exact mind and plan in each specific situation, circumstances in our lives. Oftentimes in our Christian life, there aren't cookie-cutter answers or solutions. Now that scares some of us sometimes. We know that Scripture, the things of God, are plain, okay? We're not doubting that. There is black and white in the Word of God. There are things that are crystal clear. We don't even have to debate on There are some things made so clear to us in the Bible that we don't even have to pray about. But can I tell you there are other areas not revealed in Scripture? That there are other areas of your life and mine, daily decisions that we need to make, and heavy, heavy situations, and everybody in this room tonight... If you're not facing one of those right now, you're going to be in the next day or two or week or two or month or two. A decision that the Bible doesn't specifically address. Some of you are faced with decisions about moving. Decisions about job transfers. Decisions about open doors and opportunities. And which ones should you jump through? Which ones should you hold off on? And those things come along all the time. And the Bible doesn't really, other than some basic things to help us and help us make decisions, it doesn't tell us specifically what to do in each and every situation. So what do you do? Does God care about those? Sure he does. Does God have a plan? Not everything is cookie cutter. But God does have solutions. He does have a plain path. And that's why David prayed, Lord, give me a plain path. You see, once we get past clearly revealed instructions in Scripture, we must appropriately and correctly apply truth 
through the enabling and leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's what Paul is saying. That God wants us to have that full discernment to be able to apply these things and to know that God has a plan and He's going to show us what the plan is that if we get close to Him and we wait on Him and we apply good principles and we allow the Lord to direct us, He's going to give us the answer that we need. He uses the word understanding here and it's interesting It means a mental putting together. A mental putting together where we look at this and that and we apply what we know and we take this principle and this form and bit of information and we put it here and we line it up side by side and we prayerfully analyze it. You ever sat down to put together a puzzle? And maybe it took a long time. Maybe, you know, you put together one that had 500, 700, 1,000 pieces. Now, you can, you know, you can kiss me goodbye after about a 100-piece puzzle, okay? I'm just going to be honest. I don't have enough patience or wherewithal, but my wife growing up, her family, that's what they did for recreation. Right? And Fun. And some of you may do that. (laughs) Brother, I'm ADHD or something, but I couldn't do it. And when we were dating, courting, I'd go over to her house. And I'd sit there and acted like I love putting together puzzles. (laughs) This is my favorite pastime. Putting together puzzles. Man, they loved it. They loved it. They did it at... During Christmas break. Oh, yay, it's Christmas break. That means we get to put together another puzzle. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, a long time ago, they invented something called a TV. Did you, have you, you know, ESPN, Sports Center. So I put together, try to put together some puzzles inevitably. You get down to near the end. And that one piece is gone. Right? Somebody stole the piece. And it was always her brother. Early on in the process, wouldn't he? He would, early on when nobody was looking, he'd steal and he didn't know where it went. He'd steal one piece to the puzzle. And go hide in his bedroom. And so they'd get down to the end. And I mean, everybody would be so frustrated because there's that one spot. And, you know, if you have a handful of pieces left, and, and, and you know, pretty much you're, you're like, mm, I know this one goes right here. And you're sitting there trying to. Because that one piece is missing. So many times in decision making. And that's what he's dealing with. Decision making in God's will. When it's not black and white. When it's not cookie cutter. Nobody wrote a book on it. (laughs) It comes down to you have to make a decision. This is between you and the Lord. Sometimes early on in that process, you feel like, Lord, here's my puzzle. And that one piece is missing. You know what I mean? Lord, if you just... (laughs) 
you just drop that one piece down, it'd be so easy. Why does the Lord put us through that? Oh, I hate to put it on him. But I do think he does things like that to keep us dependent, don't you? I think he does things like that to keep us prayerful. I think he does things like that to intentionally cause us and help us to realize our weakness and to realize our inability and even in decisions that affect daily life just to seek his face and wait on him. I heard somebody say this one time and I read it and I believe it's true and you can disagree with me because it's just man's opinion, okay? But I think they're right to a certain degree. They said 90% of the will of God is from the neck up. I want you to think about that. Once you get past the clearly revealed word, 90% is you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you being a spirit-filled person and you using your own good, sanctified common sense to make a decision. You see, God has promised, listen, I want you so much not just to know my generic will and my general will, but I want you to know my heart, my desire, my plan for you for the specific stuff. Decisions. Time doesn't permit me for us to discuss or talk about all the various decisions that each stage and age group represented in here has before you. They're medical decisions. They're decisions that impact your parents and some of you are caretakers and you're trying to discern right now, what should I do for my parent or my in-law? There's some of you right now trying to discern and make decisions about employment. You're trying to make decisions about your children and about schooling and about education. And, 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 and you're trying to make decisions about this for your child and that for your child or this for your marriage or this decision or even a major purchase. And you're trying to analyze and weigh it all out. And I'm, I'm telling you tonight, oh, friend, not only uh, uh, does God uh, uh, not care about that, God wants you to know and he wants you to make the right and best decision. And I'm thankful that he's given us the discernment and the understanding when we seek his face and when we wait on him and when we apply scripture and when we get counsel and we do everything we know to do and we leave it with the Lord. I promise you, friend, he won't leave you stranded. He won't. Now, if you're like me, you want God to give you that answer yesterday. Lord, where's that peace? I promise you, in his timing, according to this verse, God will give you that understanding. He'll give you that peace to that puzzle. And when he gives it to you, and when you apply it, it fits perfectly. So he says, God wants you to know his will for you. Full discernment. In every situation. 
You see, apparently, one of the problems at Colossae was that of spiritual deception and error being perpetuated by false teachers who were leading sincere believers away from the true gospel and the true faith of Christ. And they were as confused as a termite and a yo-yo. Paul says, listen, I pray that you would know the full discernment of God's will for you. He wants you to know it too. Remember what Ephesians 5, 17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God wants you to know, even about those decisions. So first of all, we know that God wants you to have full knowledge of His will in every situation. But number two, listen carefully. God wants you, here's the second thing, God wants you, here we go, to link your walk with your talk. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, here's also what I'm praying, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of the Lord. Now what does that mean, preacher? I'm going to walk worthy of the Lord. The word there, it it means walk worthily, walk appropriately. Walk there refers to somebody's habits, somebody's lifestyles, patterns, actions, behavior. That's how they live, how they act. Worthy or worthily refers to appropriateness. It refers to a life lived in such a way as to consistently reflect the Lord. A life consistent with your profession. Isn't that what we say? Where somebody's walk matches up with their talk? In other words, what he's saying is, is God doesn't want me, he doesn't want you to live a life that's inconsistent with our profession. We talked a little bit about this this past Wednesday night as we were going through James chapter 3. A life that's consistent with what we profess. And then he tells why. He says that in every possible way that we would be pleasing to God. He's not talking about perfection. Now, why isn't he talking about perfection? Because, gang, none of us hit the perfection mark. But he says, it is possible and I want you to live consistent. In other words, stop living a life of duplicity. You understand what that means, don't you? If you profess Christ, live like it. Now, we all get that. We all understand it. But sometimes we struggle with that. Hey, it's a whole lot more convenient not to live that way, isn't it? It's a whole lot more appealing to the flesh not to live that way when you're pressed, when you're stressed, when you're distressed, when you're depressed, right? It's a whole lot easier to live a life that is governed by the flesh instead of governed by the Spirit. But I'm a Christian. That means I profess to be a Christ follower. That means that God wants the predominant characteristics of my life to be consistent with His Word and consistent with my profession as being a follower of His. As a dear child following Jesus, Ephesians chapter 5. So God says, 
that he wants for you and for me that we would know and have full discernment in his will, specific details of our life. That God has planned for us, he longs for us, he desires for us to link our walk with our talk. And then number three, also in verse 10, he says that God's plan, God longs for us. The mind of God is for us, here it is, verse 10, to be fruitful in every legitimate area of life. Notice verse 10, he goes on to say uh, that, that, uh, that you walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, watch this, being, and here's the word, fruitful. Fruitful in every good work. Fruitful in every good work. That literally carries the idea of bearing fruit. It carries the idea of fertility. Like soil or a fruit-bearing tree. We call that being productive. So let me ask you a question. If it's God's will that I be fruitful and productive in every legitimate area of my life, how am I doing with that? Am I being productive? Am I being fruitful? Am I bearing fruit? What kind of fruit? Am I bearing character fruit? Am I bearing convert fruit? That's soul winning fruit. Am I bearing vocational fruit? That's productivity on the job. And can I just say this? That God cares about your productivity on the job. He's called you for a certain vocational calling in your life. God cares about your advancement. God cares about your testimony on the job. God cares about your advancement and your productivity. Those things are not foreign to the Lord. He's not calloused or cold towards those things, by the way. He cares about all that. He cares about our fruitfulness in our own relationship with Jesus. He wants us to be growing Christians like a tree that we've been planted, that we're growing, that we're sprouting, that we're bearing fruit, that we're getting the right sunlight and the right spiritual water and the right spiritual nutrients and that we're flourishing as a Christian. He wants your home to be productive. He wants your relationships with your wife, your spouse, your husband, and your children, and those around you. He wants all that to flourish and to be productive. That you would increase, that you would grow, that you would abound and bear fruit in every good legitimate work. Then number four, he says that you can know you can know, and God wants you to know. God wants you to know God more intimately. Because look at what he says in verse 10, and watch this. After he says, walk worthy, after he says, be fruitful, watch this. Increasing in the knowledge of God. That more and more and more and more and more, every single day, Paul said, I pray that you would know God more. Question. From tonight, or from last Sunday to tonight, that's seven days, do you know God more intimately than you did? What's your plan to know the Lord more intimately? Do you have one? You say, I have one, preacher, but I don't follow it real good. What are you doing to follow it? See, here's the thing, my beloved friend. Most of you in this room, you know what to do to know the Lord more. 
You've heard it preached. You've even told other people. You, you would tell other people what I'm telling you. If you want to know the Lord, you really want to know God, you really want to grow, you really want to go deeper with the Lord, you really want to, want to broaden your base as it relates to your own spiritual understanding, it comes back to spiritual formation and spiritual exercises of getting in the Word daily, privately. That's reading the Bible. Meditating on the Word. That's meditation. That's a lost form, lost art in the church. Fasting. Consistent prayer. That's, 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 you're like, I know that. But are you, are you putting it into practice? The word increasing means to grow, to enlarge. Second Peter 3, 18 says, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in His grace. Grow in His knowledge. Know Him more. Know Him more intimately. Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I may know Him. I want to know Him. Paul, aren't you already saved? Yes, I'm already saved. But I want to know Him more. That's what he's saying. Are you knowing Him more? Tomorrow, what's your plan? You're going to follow your plan? You're going to read your Bible tomorrow? You're going to pray tomorrow? You're going to meditate tomorrow? You're going to put yourself in a situation where you can grow and increase in your knowledge of Christ tomorrow? And then I close with number five. God says in verse 11, He wants us to live life in His strength. Because He says there, Paul closes his prayer out. He said, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. God wants to strengthen you with all of His power. How much power is that, preacher? (laughs) How much power does God have? All power! Y'all still with me? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Tonight, if I were to come to Brother Brian, and I'd say, Brother Brian, I have a job for you. Can you do it for me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I can do it. I can do it. Brother Brian, I want you to get in a rowboat. We're going to go down here to Moorhead. We're going to put that boat in. You have a rowboat, and you have two oars. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to somehow, in that rowboat, go to England. You want me to go to England? You want me to row this rowboat to England? Yes, I, I somehow, you need to get from here to England. <laughs> All I have is a rowboat for you. I want you to row to England. You'd say, preacher, (laughs) you've lost your marbles. Brother Brian can't do that. Nobody in this auditorium can do that. Nobody in their right mind can do that. Nobody would dare to do that. 
I mean, he loves you, and he might try to, you know, encourage you. And I mean, but I mean, he wouldn't do that. Nobody can do that. That's unreasonable. But what if I came with this proposition, Brother Brian? I have a thousand dollars right here, and I can buy a ticket that puts you on an airplane at Raleigh, Durham, and it's a direct flight to London, England. Heathrow Airport and back in just one day. It's a six, seven hour flight. You can be there. There's a flight coming back in two hours. It puts you right back home. $1,000. Would you do it? Yeah. I can do that. That's reasonable. Why? Because it's been made much easier. Then with your own strength, the rowboat, I'm rowing and I'm rowing. I'm rowing. Anybody would drown before they reach probably 200 miles. And here's how we look at the Christian life. Get ready, we're going to pray. Here's how we look at the Christian life. Look at all that God tells me to do in the book of Colossians. Look at what he's already told me to do in chapter 1. Look at all this other stuff that Paul said he was praying for us. How in the world, how in the world are we going to be able to do it all? It'd be like getting in a rowboat and trying to row across the ocean. Adrian Rogers puts it this way. He said, you just as well hop on a broom and try to fly to the moon. Because <laughs> here's the point. We can't do any of this in our own strength and power. Not, how how much can we do in our strength? Zero. And that's why I'm so glad verse 11 is there. Strengthened with all of the might of God. God's not telling you or me to do this by yourself. He's not telling you you have to rely on yourself to discern his will. You have to rely on your own power to be fruitful. You have to rely on your own strength to let your walk link with your talk. You don't have to rely in your ability to know God more intimately. (laughs) Everything he tells you to do in this text, he supplies the power for you and I to do it. Everything. So when you get in the mind of God and you see all this that he has for you, just go ahead and know he's supplying the grace and the power and the know-how and the wherewithal all along the way to get the job done. All the resources are available to you. But sometimes we get such tunnel vision that we lose sight of the bigger picture that God wants for us. A grandma and grandpa, they lived near their son and daughter and granddaughter. And they lived outside of Orlando. 
and their little toddler granddaughter. They called up the parents and said, hey, me and Mama would like to pick up Alexa. That was her name. We want to we take her somewhere. Can we come by and pick her up? Sure. So they started out of the neighborhood, and Alexa said, Oh, Granny and Grandpa, Grandma and Grandpa, can we go to McDonald's? Why do you want to go to McDonald's? Because I want to go to the playland. Well, see, Grandpa and Grandma had a plan. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So they kept driving, and they kept driving. And they passed a McDonald's playland, and old Alexa just about had a fit. Oh, I want to stop. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. They kept on driving down the road a little bit. They got on the interstate. And finally, Alexa said, Grandpa, I got a potty. Have y'all ever been there? And Grandpa said, Oh, Alexa, looky here. Here's the sign for Disney World. I bet they have restrooms. Let's pull in here and see if they'll let us use the restroom. So they pulled in the parking lot, and they're walking up to the gate, and they found a restroom outside, you know, before you get it. So she walks out of the restroom with Grandma and says to Grandpa, Oh, Grandpa, since we're already here, can we just stay at Disney World? Can we forget going to McDonald's to the playland? And Grandpa said, Alexa, this is where we were bringing you all along. You were content and satisfied with McDonald's playland. But we had in mind to bring you to Disney World. And I'm afraid sometimes that when it comes to what God's given us to do, so many of us are just content with McDonald's Playland when God has Disney World and so much more in store for us as his children.